Uh, so, good evening. It's nice to see some of you here on this holiday weekend. And it's really nice to see young people here because there's a whole section of the sermon that just speaks to them, uh, Lord willing. So, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, so, we will be looking at Proverbs uh, 9, verses 7 through 10. Um, but we're going to kind of take us a while to get there. Um, Before we start, I want to start with what I'm calling the tale of two evangelists. Um, Now, this tale is is out of the the book of Acts, truthfully, uh, Acts 7. And um, we're going to call our character Stephen because that's what the book of Acts calls him. Um, So if if you're familiar with this story, uh, Stephen, who was... One of the or the first recorded martyr for Christ um, is is talking to the Jewish people, and he relates. He's, he's a bit of a historian, right? He goes all the way back to the founding of Israel, and he relates the whole story of the forming of Israel as a people, of their being held in captivity in Egypt, of the Exodus. Um, and and brings the people that he's talking to all the way through that history and shows how that history points to Christ as the Messiah. Um, and then he says these fateful words. And reading from uh, Acts 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law delivered by angels and did not keep it. Think of that. I mean, that's a pretty strong uh, rebuke. He's looking straight at them and saying, you're murderers. You murdered the Messiah. Well, as you might expect, or maybe not, I don't know, the uh, reaction of the people. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. So, wondering, was it the message? Was it the hearts of the people? What caused this to happen? Well, I said it's the tale of two evangelists, but I'm going to make you wait till the end of the sermon for the other evangelist. So we're going to look tonight at Proverbs uh, 9, verses 7 through 10. Um, So let's go ahead and read that. Now, normally I, I like to take a look at the context of the verse as it stands in the scripture and then build on that by how does it sit within the chapter and how does it sit within the, within the book. Um, we're going to do that, but in a little bit in reverse. 
Um, so uh, we'll go ahead and read our verses, and then we're going to kind of move around a little bit. Um, but there's a purpose for that. I, I, I trust that when we return to our verses, we'll have some better understanding and background for to understand them. So now reading, um, I'm reading from the ESV, Proverbs 9, verses uh, 7 through 10 states, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So there's a lot to unpack here. So, um, like I said, we're going to move around a little bit. We're, we're going to look at the theme of Proverbs as a whole, um, and then we're going to move to chapter 9 and look at chapter 9 as a whole and then dig down into our verses. So starting with uh, Proverbs, I think uh, the folks here know, um, but Scripture tells us that King Solomon was the primary author. And we can see this in chapter 1 of the book, so if, if you would, turn to chapter 1 of Proverbs. Uh, and we can see right at the top of the proverb in verse 1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So there's, there's no doubt about the authorship of at least uh, this chapter. And actually, um, this is really the lead for the first nine chapters of Proverbs. So we, so we see that heading in chapter 1. We don't see that heading again in, in 2 through 9, right? That's sort of a section, and that section um, has a purpose, right? And then we look at uh, chapter uh, 10, verse 1, and we see... Uh, we see the same thing, right? We see that um, the, it starts out the Proverbs of Solomon. So that is a separate section. So we have uh, 1 through 9 as a section. We have 10 through 24 as a section. And then the next time we see a heading, it's in chapter 25, verse 1, uh, where we see these are also the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah of Judah, Judah copied. And so apparently King Hezekiah commissioned men to search out the sayings of King Solomon and compile them uh, into Proverbs. And we have those Proverbs in chapter 25 through 29. So those three sections. And then we have, of course, uh, Proverbs 30, which is titled The Words of Agor, Son of Jacob, and Proverbs 31, The Words of King Lemuel. So of the 31 Proverbs, 29 were written by or compiled from proverbial sayings of Solomon. And we know that Solomon was characterized by having great wisdom. Um, But I ask, and I think you know the answer, but um, where did Solomon receive this wisdom? So uh, we read in 1 Kings 4.29 that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. So Solomon was given this wisdom and understanding from God. He was the human author of these Proverbs. But God was ultimately responsible for the content. So we get to hear from God as we work through this tonight. So having established divine authorship, let's look at some of the main themes of Proverbs. So again, back to Proverbs uh, chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 4, or 2 through 4. 
we see these purposes listed to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, there's some, there's some key words in there, and we'll drill down on some of them uh, throughout. But I want to notice, I want you to notice, especially in four, it's to give prudence to the simple. That's, that's simply the unlearned, um, and knowledge and discretion to the youth. So Proverbs are instructional. They're intended to help us to grow in wisdom and knowledge. Now, Charles Bridges, the um, famous theologian, writes of Proverbs that this wonderful book is indeed a mine of divine wisdom. The views of God are holy and reverential. The observation of human nature is minute and accurate. Uh, this sovereign discrimination shows the real intent of the scriptures, not to teach philosophy, but religion, not to make men of science, but men of sound godliness. I like that quote. Uh, so Bridges is emphasizing the practicality of Proverbs to instruct us how to be godly, and hopefully we desire to be godly. Well, does this happen automatically? Who benefits from the instruction that's in Proverbs? Well, we see this in verse 5 of chapter 1. It says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and saying the words of the wise and their riddles. So we see then that it's the wise who hear and understand. Okay, well then, how do we become wise? Uh, How do we become the one who understands and the one who benefits from the proverbs? Well, for the answer to that, we can look at verse 7 in chapter 1. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we see a couple concepts in verse 7. We see, one, this concept of fearing God. And a lot of people like to interpret that as having a reverential awe for God. Um, And although that is a possible interpretation of that Greek word, uh, there, I'm sorry, Hebrew word, uh, other interpretations include fear, dreadful fear, and exceeding fear. So I think it's noteworthy that the translators of the King James, the ASV, ESV, and other translations, they didn't choose to use uh, reverence here. They used the word fear rather than awe or reverence. So we know, though, that if we're in Christ, we need not fear eternal condemnation. But if we understand God's holiness, his justice, his power, we should fear God. In fact, when we get to our verses for today, we'll see that the fear of the Lord, or Jehovah, is the beginning of wisdom. But knowledge of the holies, or holy one, in other words, recognizing how holy God is compared to how sinful we are, gives understanding. So we move from knowledge to understanding is, is like moving from just knowing that God exists to understanding how holy God is and how holy apart from us he is. We also see in verse 7 this contrast between knowledge or wisdom 
and simple-mindedness or foolishness. We'll see this throughout the book of Proverbs, but mostly in the first uh, nine chapters, which are chiefly confined to the conduct of early youth or for instruction for youth. So young people uh, who are here, thanks for being here, and uh, parents of young people. Um, God has seen fit to speak directly to you in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. He speaks to all of us, and his Proverbs instruct us in wisdom, um, and so that we might live a full life. But, you know, regarding the theme of Proverbs, one of, uh, one of my study sources uh, quoted the president of the Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. His name is Joel Beakey. Um, he summed the theme of Proverbs up this way. He said, Proverbs instruct us to live a wise life governed by the fear of God and the desire to please him. I thought that was a rather pithy statement, so I'll repeat that. The Proverbs instruct us to live a wise life governed by the fear of God and the desire to please him. So if we use that as a working definition for the theme or the purpose of the book of Proverbs, what does that tell us? Well, one thing, it tells us a little bit about wisdom. Uh, It's not just a thing that you have, right? It's not just simply applied. It's actually governed by the fear of God. That means a governor is something that keeps things in control. If you have a governor on a motor or a, or a piece of machinery, it won't allow it to go too fast. It'll kind of keep it in check. Uh, so here we see that this fear of God is, is what governs our wisdom. That means that we have some control over this, right? It means that if we fear God more, we work harder at wisdom, so wisdom is not just an attribute that some people have and, or some people don't have. It's actually governed. It's learned. It requires thinking and understanding. It requires careful consideration of who God is in relationship to man, learning how to please him, and then taking purposeful action to please him. So we see this also in Hebrews chapter 5. You don't need to turn there, but I'll read from that. That wisdom is a process that increases with time and practice. Reading from Hebrews 5, starting in chapter 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, wisdom, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So to have powers of discernment and to be wise requires constant practice and training. Well, brothers and sisters, that's really one of the main reasons that we meet as a church. If you're a member of this church, you have coveted together to exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. So I ask you, have you and are you willing to do this? Are you willing to help your fellow members grow in godliness through the fear of the Lord?
Failing to train by constant practice, we allow ourselves to become dull of hearing. So I think we've established then that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that growing in wisdom requires constant practice governed by the fear of God. Is there another way to get wisdom? Well, there is another way, or at least another thing we should do, is simply ask God for it. We see in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 1, 7 through 10, speaking of Solomon, And that night God appeared to Solomon and asked him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great steadfast love to David my father, and have made me king in this place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father now be now fulfilled, for you have made me king over a numerous a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. And we know that God responded to that. Again, in 1 Kings 4, we see, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and of all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. So speaking to parents, speaking to other leaders that are here, God has made you had over your children or others that you lead. We should ask God to grant us wisdom to do that job well. In James uh, chapter 1, verse 5, we read, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Well, we, now we've looked and we can ask God for wisdom. We've noticed that we can work with each other to develop wisdom and the fear of God. Does anybody just have wisdom naturally? Isn't it just a thing? Don't we know people that just seem to be wise and maybe they're not converted? Well, I I hope scripture bears me up in this, but my answer to that is no. Uh, Naturally, we are fools. When we read um, Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother did conceive me. Proverbs 22.15 states, Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. It doesn't say wisdom is bound up in the heart of the child. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. So my conclusion is that our natural state is foolishness. We need to learn and grow into wisdom. And a good example of that is that even the incarnate Christ in his sinless state, needed to grow in wisdom. In Luke 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So with this background that we are naturally simple-minded, unlearned, and foolish, but that with the fear of the Lord and instruction we can gain wisdom and knowledge, we'll now turn to our verses in chapter 9. Um, So when we look at uh, these verses in chapter 9, again, we're not going to jump right to our verses. We sort of need to take the context um, of the whole proverb into account. And so uh, 
There's two main headings you'll see in in your Bible. Um, the first section is titled, uh, in my Bible, The Way of Wisdom. The last section, The Way of Folly. So let's take a look at those quickly. Uh, the Way of Wisdom, uh, verses uh, 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the ways of insight. So we see Lady Wisdom calling out to the simple to feast, live, and walk in insight. This is contrasted completely with the last verses, starting at verse 13, with the way of folly. The woman folly is loud, she is seductive, and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, she takes a seat in the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So notice that both wisdom and folly are calling out to the same people. They're calling out to the simple, to the unlearned. Wisdom to gain insight and live. Folly to lead to death. Now, sandwiched in the middle of these two sections are our verses, which are a bit different. So, um, but notice that the, the verses get much more personal. We're not talking about lady wisdom or, or woman folly. We're these, these, these sort of concepts. It comes right down to speaking to us. So speak, uh, verse 7 uh, and on. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. And then in verse 10, we go back to the theme that we already started, how to gain wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So I'd like to stop here a little bit and look at some of the characters that we have in these verses. Um, So the one character is the the he or the whoever. And uh, we can can talk to Jamie afterwards. When I looked that up, uh, the word he was was simply a letter in the Hebrew alphabet uh, that I take to indicate someone or or you or a person, right? Um, He'll correct me later. Um, but then we have these other characters here. Uh, we've got this scorner or scoffer, depending on how your translation reads. Um, that, that word can be translated mocker or scorner, um, but it's not translated the simple-minded. This is something different. And then there's also, we see this character who is called wicked, uh, this, again, is a different word, and it's a much stronger word in the Hebrew. 
This is a morally wrong person or actively wicked. So how did we get there? We started in verse 4 with a simple man needing instruction, and we ended up with mockers and actively wicked people. I want you to note this, please. Parents of young people especially, there's a natural progression, the simple, which is our natural state at birth, if not instructed, become fools. And the fools, if not corrected, become mockers. And mockers and scoffers cannot be instructed. Stephen is a good example of that. We see in verses 7 and 8 that our attempts to correct a scoffer result in bruises and hatred. So parents, the book of Proverbs instructs you to drive foolishness out of your children so that they may be wise and live. If you do not, the natural progression for the unconverted natural man is for them to become fools and then mockers, which leads to death. Children, take note. Your parents are instructed by God to drive foolishness out of your heart so that you may be wise and live a happy life. It may not seem that way because we're all born into iniquity and naturally desire our own way. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve wanted to gain the knowledge of good and evil for themselves rather than obeying God and letting him determine good and evil. The desire to do things their way led to their death. Without conversion, it will lead to your death. Folly's guests are in the depths of Sheol. So the Bible is clear that the path to learning wisdom and righteousness requires discipline. Well, there's some remaining characters in these verses. We have this character that's called wise. This word can be interpreted wise, intelligent, skillful, or cunning. It's you're, you're moving from the simple to now the one who has been instructed and is gaining wisdom. And there's this other character called the righteous or the just, depending on your, uh, on your uh, version of scripture. Um, and that, that word is, can be mostly that meaning. It's just, lawful, or righteous. So we spoke about the path to wisdom or righteousness already, but notice how the wise receive correction compared to the fools. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So we're now down to two remaining characters or names in these verses. The first is the Lord. And this is the word for Jehovah. This is the Hebrew name for God. Um, this is the imminent word for God. It's, it's the, the, the self-existent one, the eternal one, essentially the I am that I am, right? So this is just the fact that God is and that God always has been and always will be. The second word that's used here is the holy one, or in some translations, the holies. And this one is the eminent God, right? This is the God who is so holy is so holy above where we are that it, it, it's, it's the one that we, when we grow to understand, um, we, we really do 
learn wisdom. So to summarize, we see um, we see this pattern, right? Reprove, correct the scorner, abuse to you, uh, rebuke the wicked, injury to you, or hate to you, rebuke the wise man, love to you, instruct the wise man, he becomes wiser, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding and insight. So now a few points of application. Um, Lest we be tempted to feel proud at being wise and not being a fool or a scoffer. No one is wise all the time, and no no one perfectly lives out the principles laid forth in Proverbs. Reminder is in Romans 3. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 reminds us, for who maketh you to differ? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you didn't, if you received, didn't receive it, why do you, or you, if you did to receive it, why do you glory? Why do you boast as if you had not received it? So if you find yourself in the position to be mostly wise, your posture should be thanksgiving. And then you need to live a holy life, lest you cause others to scorn. We see this in Romans 2.1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in the passing judgment, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you the judge, practice the very same thing. And if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law? For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So let's not be that person. Well, what then should be our posture toward these scoffers? The Proverbs tell us if we attempt to correct them, will be the ones who get bruised. If we publicly attempt to correct them, we might have a Matthew 7 incident. Do not give to the dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under foot and attack you. I think we saw that happen to Stephen in our tale of the two evangelists. So we should have a posture of prayer. We need to pray for the unsaved. Brothers and sisters, I, before I was saved, I used to mock Christians. Before Paul was saved, he persecuted Christians. In fact, he was in that crowd approving of the people stoning Stephen. So let's move to the second of our tale of two evangelists. This scenario is very similar to the first. 
This time, our character's name is Peter. And miraculous things are happening here. People are speaking in tongues. People are hearing them preach in their own language. The Holy Spirit is clearly at work. He also shows the people the connection between prophecy and Christ. And then he says these words. Acts 2, verses 22 and on. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The same accusation. This is the same accusation that Stephen had. You murdered the Christ. Peter's saying the same thing. You crucified and killed him in the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. In case they missed that, he says it again. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Well, what was the response? The response of the crowd of Stephen was they gnashed their teeth, they closed their ears, they yelled at they ran at him, and stoned him to death. What did this crowd do? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So finally, if you are not a Christian and you found yourself, heard yourself mocking or scorning those things that you know to be good and pleasing to the Lord, that cycle can be broken. Call out to the Lord. Ask him to convict you of your sin and show you the path to righteousness and forgiveness. Please reach out to one of the pastors here or a member of the church to ask how you might become wise and live. So, Lord, we thank you for giving us your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would help us as a church to be um, iron sharpening iron. Lord, that we would instruct each other in wisdom, that we would instruct each other in the fear of the Lord, that um, you would help us to grow in wisdom and learn. And Lord, we have family members. We have loved ones who um, are simple 
We have some that are fools. And perhaps we have some that are mockers. We ask you, Lord, to arrest their souls. Cause them, like Paul, to turn from one who stands in approval while people stone one of your servants to one who is willing to go to death to share that very same message. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.